All right, hi everyone. My name's Dan Liska. I'm the Vice President of Growth with AutoVerify. Uh, that means I lead our customer success, our sales, and our marketing efforts for our over 900 uh, dealership clients. Uh, for the past 20 years, I've been a top 5% inside sales rep, really focused on the sales process and the science of sales. And for the past 10 years, it's been all sales leadership, a four-time sales director. My personal mission is helping salespeople everywhere to improve the quality of life they live. And more recently, helping owners to actually measure and manage that sales quality of life. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate the uh, A, attention, uh, because B, really what I think you'll get out of this, um, you're gonna double your lead to appointment rate. Like, that's what's in it for you right now. You're gonna double your lead to appointment rate. As, so if you're already satisfied with the amount of money you're making off your web leads, coffee break time, uh, if you believe that there's more profit to be squeezed out of your web leads, that's why we're talking today. Uh, so that's the first thing you can expect is doubling your lead to appointment rate so you get more deals and more inventory through 2021. Uh, how are we gonna do that? We're gonna talk about repeatable processes and easy tactics. All right, so we'll get, we'll get you some downloadable templates, some conversation blueprints, and really make sure that this is memorable and actionable after this. And then finally, uh, you're gonna really be able to enjoy the effective sales management and measurement that everyone's striving to get in 2021. But I think everyone is uh, focused on, you know, we're at step one, we gotta get to step three, and people are very confused on what step two is. So that's what we're gonna focus on today. By the end of this, you're gonna feel very, very empowered on how to build out your inside sales team, your digital sales team through 2021. Uh, so let's talk about first things first, effective sales management and measurement. Uh, we're gonna talk about two areas here. Number one, strategy, and number two, execution. So when we talk about strategy, uh, we're gonna jump into some culture pillars of selling digitally that it just needs to be how your dealership and you as a sales professional are operating right now. Otherwise, we're kind of dead in the water. And then the execution is gonna give you guys uh, some, some really actionable tactics that we can use immediately when we, uh, you know, I'll go back to our respective dealerships. So first things first, uh, what you guys are, are seeing over here is a depiction of how process matters more than superstars. And that's really what we need to change the culture within the dealership is right now, everything is a very superstar based culture. And what I mean by here, you can see on the blue triangle at the very bottom, we got a superstar and everything is based on that superstar. The skills that we teach other people, we're just copying the superstar. And then we enable, uh, put enablement systems in place and technology systems in place and process systems in place in order to replicate that superstar. It's all backwards. You're victim to your superstars that way. We need to create an engine around recruitment, training, growth, and daily bread. And that's what you're seeing on this yellow triangle here. Everything is based on process, not superstars. And so at the very top, you can see that you plug team members into that triangle. We start at the bottom with process. We layer technology on top of process. We enable that technology so that you're using it as a tool, not a toy. We train on the skills and reinforce those skills. And then finally, you plug a human being in at the top. The human being needs to be at the top 
of that pyramid, not at the bottom. And if that human being leaves, well, everything with our machine leaves as well. So uh, again, just to, just to be super memorable about it, your science culture, your process culture needs to overtake whatever superstar culture exists at the dealership. All right, the second piece of culture we're gonna talk about, data-driven decision-making. What you guys are seeing up here is a five-level scale on digital decision-making. So this first level up here in blue, we have what's called data denial. I, I'm curious to know how many dealers might think there's a little bit of data denial going around, or sales reps, if you think there's data denial going, right, going around at your dealership. Um, it, really what data denial is, is your organization starts with an active distrust of data and doesn't use it. I'm pretty sure that's the best source of leads, you know, is kind of how we're making those decisions. Um, and then from there, we, we can go up to data indifference. It's not that we're resistant to data, but the company isn't actively trying to embrace data in its decision making. And, and you need that in order to foster that competitive culture because people need to know that it's equal playing field and that only their skills are the difference between this number on the board and this number on the board. Uh, level three, you can see here we got data aware. So the business is collecting data, may use it for monitoring, but doesn't actually base strategic decisions on it. Okay, and then at the fourth level, we got data informed. So this is where we actually have managers using data, not just the owners using data, but the step away from perfection that we are there is it's still selective. We're using that data selectively. We have data here and data here, but not data here. Or maybe we use data to make this decision because it's convenient and the manager understands data, but this manager over here isn't on board with data-driven decisions, so it's not applied consistently. Okay, and ultimately where we're trying to get to is right here, data-driven decision-making, where data is actually playing a, a central role in as many decisions as possible. And even if you look at the data and it's not what you wanna see, you're still making your decision based on that data. So uh, again, data-driven decision-making, just it, it needs to be the table stakes for how your digital sales teams are operating. Then the third pillar, we got inspecting what matters. Um, and so over here, what you can see, uh, and, and feel free to hit pause, zoom in on that, but really what you can see is the results from lead all the way through the life cycle to sale. We got leads generated, we got leads responded to, leads as a percentage responded to, what was that response time, how many contacts did we make, how many appointments did we set on that contact, of those appointments set, how many were kept, of the appointments kept, how many deals did we close. Okay, and this might seem like a lot of measurement, but I can assure you it is way, way less work then when we don't hit our numbers, we go back to the drawing board at the, at the end of the month and we go, well, what do I do to hit my numbers? With data-driven decision-making, you know exactly where your problem lies every time. If you got great lead count and you're not making any contact, where's your issue? Is it bad leads? No, it's bad follow-up process. It's bad contact attempts. If you're making contact but you're not booking appointments, is it bad leads? No. You're getting great contact, but you're not able to move from maybe education to offer and get that client to actually take action and deal with you in the showroom. Okay, and, and, and let's just take it a step further. If we got appointments coming into the showroom, but cars aren't rolling down the road, 
should we even consider blaming the leads? Absolutely not. I mean, is that lead supposed to come in and, and just kind of sell the car for us? No, we got we to gotta have that responsibility that if the customer walks into the dealership, nobody walks into a dealership in 2020 or 2021 without at least purchase intent. If they walk in, that, that's our deal to lose. All right, and so when, when you can have all these data-driven measurements here, it just allows you, whether you're a manager, whether you're a dealer principal, or whether you're a sales rep, to hold yourself and your team accountable to actually performing against those expectations. So point is, we gotta inspect what matters, not inspect what we're used to inspecting, and then we hold them accountable. And how we hold them accountable is what you're seeing over here on the left. It's the difference between a team of salespeople that have a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. All right, and everyone's heard the fixed mindset before. Fixed mindset avoids challenges and ignores feedback and critique and says, I'm already good enough. Uh, fixed mindset says, my intelligence and talents are fixed. Those older sales rep that are like, ah, you know, I don't understand technology. Well, if you've already made up your mind that you don't understand technology, next couple years are gonna be rough in, in the automotive industry. That's, them's the facts of life. We gotta adjust, not fight that. And on the flip side, what's the growth mindset looks like? In, in a sentence, it's I can be better tomorrow than I am today. I don't know how to close that right now, but I can do something differently and learn how to do that today. And it's all done based on not necessarily trial and error, but when we can make data-driven decisions, you'll always have those early indicators of whether or not something is gonna work or not. What I mean by that is, you probably don't need to wait 90 days to see how many sales you're gonna make from that new lead source. Are you making contact with one in two people? 50%. Are you setting an appointment with one in three people? 33%. If not, Spoiler alert, we're probably going to examine, hey, you know, why aren't we at our targets? All right, so look at those leading early indicators, but above all, we gotta inspect what matters and hold your team accountable. All right, so those are the, those are the three biggest pillars of building out a digital sales team. Uh, now when we look at the actual management and measurement, there's two words that I really want everyone to take away here. Uh, and, and what you can see, you can see on this pretty little graph over here, it kind of looks like a bow tie. This is called the bow tie model. And basically what you're seeing on the left is the customer journey going from, uh, in our world, in the auto verify world, demo to follow up to closing. So imagine what that looks like for a dealership. Lead comes in, I make contact and set an appointment, I bring them in to close the deal, then we get it desked. Everyone's got that same process, okay? But here's the two words that everyone needs to take away from this. Or sorry, two ideas. Stage objectives and toll gates. All right, now what do those mean? Stage objectives. What's our objective when we go on a first date? I'm gonna suggest it's not getting married. It's probably going on a second date. Okay, and that is a stage objective in a nutshell. So when you get that web lead in, what's your objective? What are you trying to do with that web lead? Are you trying to get married or are you trying to go on a second date? I, I can guarantee, we might think it's kind of a funny example, but I guarantee if we did some mystery shopping, we'd probably see a lot of people that take a web lead and try to get married. And so 
where does a toll gate come in? And, and what's the point of a toll gate? Well, does everyone know what a toll gate is? First and foremost, we're driving along a highway, especially in the States, and you cannot proceed unless you pay the toll, right? So what does that matter to our sales process? It matters because when you move from one stage to another, there's always a toll to pay. As an example, if you're moving on your leads from, uh, uh, say, approach to appointment setting, you know you have contact. So as an example here, you can see all these stages that we've put together, and an example of toll gates for us and objectives for us, when we're doing a demo, the objective is to get the one person we're demoing to buy in and say, yes, I love it. That's the first stage. And the toll gate is you need a contact for the deal and you need a rating for the deal. So if you can't fill in those two pieces of information, I know you are not out of stage one of the sales process. There's no discussion, there's no debate, it's just a toll gate. You put in the information, you can proceed to the next stage in the process. All right, and so for follow-up, the toll gates, they just keep getting better and better. So for follow-up, the objective is instead of one person saying, I like it, you need to find the who's who. Get consensus. You need to get everyone to say, I like it, put up their hands. Okay, and, and so the toll gates there would be, who's your decision maker? Who are your influencers? What's your plan to get consensus with them? And what are the specific next steps you're going to take to close the deal? So how does that apply to a dealership world? Well, what is their life event? What are the key things they're looking for? What are the major reasons that you can profile that they're not going to want to proceed? Did they come in through your homepage so you know they're going to say, I'm not ready to buy today? Right? There's a lot of profiling that we can do there with our web leads. But point is, uh, build out your entire sales process with stage-based objectives, not just overall objectives. A good example of overall objective would be if I say I want to go play hockey, well, my strategy is to score goals. It's pretty basic, right? We'll get into how that breaks down later, but it's really important to take away that idea of stage objectives and toll gates. Um, so yeah, the, the, those are really the fundamentals for effective sales management and measurement when you're building out a digital sales force. Uh, now let's get into the how. The so what, the if I'm going to go from step one to step three, what does that actually look like, Dan? So we're going to talk about four things here. We're going to talk about one, selling more cars by not selling cars. Sounds ridiculous. Swear to God it works. Number two, prospect knowledge beats product knowledge. We talked a little bit about this before, but I can assure you that 100%, well, 99.9% .9 after this, uh, sales reps go out and they talk about the product and here's our specials and here's the must-have features and this is what the price is you can't find this anywhere let me add some urgency right we've, we've heard that all it's played out what about mr customer mrs customer i'm not here to sell you a car uh, certainly not prematurely i just want to see if we're a fit do you mind if i ask you a couple questions about you know what kind of life event led you to just start researching i might be able to help Okay, and that's the kind of attitude that we can take in order to just invite that conversation to the table. Uh, the third idea that we're going to talk about is credibility mattering far more than rapport in 2020. I mean, uh, rapport is very simple. If we're talking about baseball, rapport is the difference between getting three strikes before you're called out and five strikes. But it doesn't make you a better batter. Credibility makes you a better batter. And credibility is the ability to hit that home run with only getting one strike. And so in 2020, with the, 
I don't want to say the death of, but more the dying of loyalty. Believe me, all those rapport sales are dwindling and we need to start making credibility sales and expecting to educate the customer. Uh, and number four, fall in love. We'll talk about what we're going to fall in love with in a sec, but seriously, we all need to fall in love again. We'll jump into that. All right, so here's what you can see over here. Um, we talked about if I was to go out and set a generic goal in hockey, sorry, a generic objective, like I'm going to score a goal. And let's compare that to a generic goal, like I want to sell a car. And you can see that on this chart right here. See, we got the objective, score a goal, sell a car. We got a bad idea and a good idea. All right, so scoring a goal, bad idea. I'm going to go score a goal. Selling a car, bad idea. I'm going to go sell a car. Here's a good idea for scoring a goal. And, and let me know if this sounds like a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid or a Wayne Gretzky speaking. I'm going to go create a goal by first winning the face-off and, and using my face-off skills. Step number one. Step number two, I'm going to make sure I've set expectations with the team that they need to move into space so we can actually play our puck distribution game. Skill number three, we need to acquire the zone. We need to actually move in to, to even have a chance at being in a scoring position. And then number four, we can't guarantee a goal, right? But we can work our book of plays that will generate a scoring opportunity that converts to a goal at a certain percentage. When we put it like that, doesn't it kind of sound like a sales process? Right? Like step one, step two, step three, step four, it's certain percentages. That's all it is. It's a sales process. Who's seen the movie Moneyball? Who's heard of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas? Analytics in sports. It's a thing now. Putting together the ability to just will our performance into existence by waking up at the, in the morning and having nothing, but having a science process-based approach to being like, I'm going to turn that nothing, my list of database leads, into something, a conversation which is going to give me an X percentage chance at selling that car. All right. And then so from a car perspective, well, how does that apply? Let's get really granular. Stop going out there and trying to sell a car. Let's, if before we have to sell a car, let me ask you, if, if you get that customer into the showroom, you're going to close them at least 40% of the time on the better side, probably over even 60% of the time because nobody walks into a showroom without purchase intent, right? So I don't know that anyone in this room needs help selling cars. It's probably more that we need help selling appointments. And that's the attitude that we need around, I am not calling my web leads to sell cars. I need to call my web leads to sell appointments. And that's where the first thing that I hear in every training session is, but Dan, they don't get back to me. They never get back to me. I email them and they don't get back to me. So email doesn't work in 2020, right? I call them and they don't get back to me. So cold calling's dead, right? Anyone ever seen the movie Glengarry Glen Ross? There are no weak leads. There is weak follow-up process. There is weak messaging. And that's what we need to have as a, as a mentality here. So we just looked at the difference between a good idea and a bad idea for selling an appointment and how we get that mindset. But let, let's actually look at how we would sell contact here and how we would sell an appointment here. And we'll get really granular. So we, we've got the same style chart. We've got, we're going to sell contact and sell an appointment. And we've got a bad idea and a good idea. Let me know how familiar this sounds. When we try to sell contact, this bad idea of, can you let me know more about what you're interested in? 
Hey, let me know if you need anything. Right? Doesn't, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like every sales rep's initial response email ever? Um, and selling the appointment. How many people in here have been trained to say, do you want to come in today or tomorrow? So I go on a first date with a girl. Hey, uh, you know, what, what kind of stuff do you like to do out, outside of work? Oh, that's interesting. How many siblings do you have? Oh, that's cool. And would you like chocolate or vanilla for the wedding cake when we get married? Is that going to work? Absolutely not. You can't manipulate a yes and expect the person to take action. Wor best case scenario, you get a fake yes. Worst case scenario, they're like, eh, awkward, and they disengage. In the sales world, what we hear is just, just silence, just nothing, because they just don't get back to us, okay? So what do we need to say to sell contact instead? And keep in mind, this is over an email, all right? So let's look at our level one, level two, level three questions here, and, and we're going to come back to level one, level two, level three questions in a second, but how's this sound? I noticed that you got a trade-in report. I can't say that to every customer, right? I can only say that to people who have done the research and gone, you took this action online. It doesn't matter what their action is. I noticed you calculated your payments online. Hey, I noticed you got that trade-in report online. I noticed you checked your credit online. I noticed you, doesn't matter what you noticed. You noticed something, okay? Level one question. Level two question, did you get the report okay? Why am I asking this? Don't I already know the answer? Absolutely, I know the answer to this. But why does a lawyer ask questions? Is it to learn things? Probably more they're asking questions that they already know the answer to in order to psychologically take someone from point A to point B. Okay, and that's what we need to be doing as sales reps. So, I noticed that you got a trade-in report, custom one. Sorry, customization number one. Did you get that report okay? Question number two. Do you really have a 2017 Ford Mustang? See how we're getting more personal and more specific with every single question we ask? Yes, I do. If so, we'd like to buy it off you. Could we chat quickly? Okay. And if we're sending an email, that's the, think about that difference. The difference between, can you let me know more about what you're interested about versus, hey, I noticed that you got a trade-in report. Did you get the report okay? Do you really have that 2017 Mustang? If so, we'd like to buy it off you. Could we just chat quickly? And that's it. Do you see what I mean by selling contact? We're not trying to rush the process. Okay, and then down here is we sell the appointment. It, it's the same thing as on the phone. We just got to encourage a little bit more that, uh, that participation. So on the phone, what would we say? We'd say, do you want to come in today or tomorrow, right? And if they say no, what do we do? We try to apply pressure or qualify them. So, oh, this incentive won't last forever. This inventory is going to be gone in three days. You got to come in, right? What if we cause them to want to come in by offering their help a little bit more? So, you know, hey, Jason, you weren't expecting my call, but you downloaded a trade-in report. Could I steal a minute? You know, it's, it's permission-based. And how many sales calls do you get nowadays where they're like, hey, sorry, sir, you weren't expecting my call. Could I steal a minute? At the very least, even if you don't have time, you're going to be like, man, nobody respects my time like that anymore. Like, I, I don't have much time. I'm not sure I'm a fit, but what do you got going on? Um, because it's a thought interrupt. People aren't expecting to be dealt with that much respect nowadays. All right, and, and then when it comes to uh, selling the appointment, once we get past that permission-based intro, hey, you weren't expecting my call, but you took this action, could I steal a minute? We go into our level one, level two, level three questioning. Thanks, did you get the report okay? 
Why? 95% of the time, they're going to say yes. And the other 5% of the time, they're going to say no. And then you get to be the super helpful person that says, oh, well, why don't I just download another copy and send it to you? I'd be happy for you to treat me like your virtual employee. Ha ha ha. Oh, by the way, what's your cell phone number? I'll text it to you. Now you not only ask the qualifying question, but you have a way easier time getting a hold of this person moving forward. There's no bad things that can happen from level one, level two, and level three questioning. Anyway, our third question would be similar to the email. And do you have that 2017 Ford Mustang? But on email, we would just be like, do you really have a Mustang? If so, we'd like to buy it off you. Could we chat quickly? You know, they're rhetorical questions. But if we're on the phone, it's first person to talk loses. You can't just give them a monologue and expect that they're going to come in. You literally have to train your reps on that patience. And do you have that 2017 Ford Mustang? Yes. Perfect. That's why I'm calling. We'd like to buy your car. I'm just wondering if it would make sense for you to come into the dealership so my manager, John, could look it over and just appraise it. You know, something like that. But do you see what I mean about the difference between just let me know what you're interested in versus you took this action. Did you get that okay? Do you really have this personalized question? Could we chat quickly? And the same thing on the phone. So anyway, uh, very, very easy tactics. I promise everyone in this room can do it. It's just a matter of wrapping our head around stop selling cars by trying to sell cars. You're going to sell so many more vehicles by saying, I'm not here to sell you a vehicle. All right. And, and then finally, um, let's talk about prospect knowledge beating product knowledge for a second on these easy, easy tactics. So what I mean by that is everyone defaults to product knowledge. And that is a inhuman task to um, expect to be able to keep up with, first of all, for a sales rep nowadays. Uh, the amount of features coming out has surpassed anything in, in the uh, previous years. Um, the customers that we're dealing with, they've done more research about these cars than, than ever before, to the point that a lot of these customers know more about the cars than we do as the sales reps when they, when they come in, right? So we really need to get away from focusing on the product itself as we sell appointments and we need to focus on the prospect. An example of that would be, let's say someone fills out a fake phone number. Well, put right in the subject line, I hate sales calls too, but we'd love to buy your car. Or when you see the website that people came in from, okay, that lead origin URL, did it come from your homepage? If so, what's the objection you know they're going to have? I'm not ready to buy today. Does that mean we're not going to treat them well? Nurture them through that sales process? No, you, we got to treat them the same way as they walk through our physical dealership. And I know no, nobody's reps in here would go, oh, you're not ready to buy today? Well, I mean, why don't you research with the guy down the street and just come back to me when you're ready to buy? But that's essentially what's happening when we get that web lead in and we just try to sell it a car. Hey, what are you interested in? Let me know if I can help. Okay. And so how we get away from that is just focusing on one, it, it can literally be anything. It doesn't have to be anything. For a trade, we want to focus on, I want to buy your trade, as opposed to tell me more about your trade and what are you interested in. If it's credit, in, instead of saying, you know, hey, can you fill out this application? Oh, by the way, what are you interested in? We could say, oh, you don't know your credit? I can, I can help you. I can tell you that. Or, oh, you actually know your credit? Wow, you'd get approved for sure. I just need a couple answers from you to finish off your application because you already put most of the information into our website. I'm not going to make you to repeat it. 
Oh, and by the way, I could text you these questions. If you just text me back the answers, I'll make sure you're approved before you even get in the dealership. Okay, prospect knowledge. On the insurance side of thing, someone asked about insurance. Oh, your insurance, your insurer would tell you that. That's not me, but what are you interested in? Right, versus if we're taking that helpful approach and we have the right digital tools on our website, well, I can save you hours if, if you're trying to calculate your total cost of ownership on this vehicle. What other sales rep out there is gonna to offer to help them out with that, okay? Uh, on the payment side of things, hey, I see the payment that you calculated online, but what are you interested in? All right, um, the prospect knowledge approach there could, could more appropriately be put, well, based on your credit, it looks like we might be able to get you a better payment. I would just need you to come into the dealership, if that makes sense to you. All right, and even, even for a test drive, you know, thanks for booking with us, what are you interested in? Versus, well, do you mind if I ask, did, did you want an at-home sanitary test drive or a in-the-dealership custom test drive? Yeah, what kind of beverage could I get for you? What must-have features do you want to see before we even schedule that? All right, so point is, look at everything on the left and what do you see in common? Doesn't matter what the lead source is. What are you interested in? 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 What am I coming across as right now? Do you think I'm coming across as someone who genuinely wants to help you solve a problem? No, I'm coming across as someone who wants to make commission. We can't come across like that. You need to have this attitude of, I will literally walk away from the table if I can't make your life better. And it starts with, help me understand that life event. What do you got going on? Because I, I can ease your pain with this vehicle if you just tell me a little bit more. I can help you. Anyway, so that's what we mean by prospect knowledge beats product knowledge. And here's a quick visual example of that. You, you can see with these emails, over on the left, subject, trade value form. Over on the right, Jason, could we buy your car? What's more compelling? What do you think is gonna get the customer to read that more if they filled in a trade-in form, okay? Now on the left, first and foremost, look, look at what the image looks like. This is just one big paragraph. If you're, if you're not zoomed right in, you're never gonna read it. Okay, and, and on the right, look what it looks like. It looks like text messages. All right, and look how much customization there is there. Hi, customer name, I'm rep name from dealership name. Thanks for coming online and taking this specific action associated with this lead source. Did you get the report okay? Level two question. Then we put in a customization question. So you have a 2014 Chrysler 300, right? If so, we'd like to buy it off you. Could we chat quickly? Thanks in advance. Just like we talked about on the last slide. All right, but that's what your email probably looks like right now with a lot of product knowledge. And on the right side, that's how you want it to look with lots of prospect knowledge, okay? Uh, one, of the, one of the final things on, on these emails is the you language, not the me language. Do you see over there all the me, me, me? When, when can you come in? Can you let me know more about the car? I got a couple pieces of inventory I wanna show you. Versus, thanks for you coming on and taking this action. Did you get the report okay? Do you have a Ford Mustang? Yes, I wanna buy it off you. Okay, people wanna hear about them. They don't wanna hear about you. This is what a conversation sounds like. Um, so we had already talked about a lot of these. You can see the bullet points over here on the left, but we got personalization, permission to proceed. So that personalization could be as simple as we look at it, the fact it came in Sunday in the morning with a fake phone number and we say, hey, you know, it looks like you were doing some Sunday morning shopping. I hate sales calls too, something like that. That's how we intro. 
I know you weren't expecting my call, but could we steal a minute? Permission to proceed. Level one, level two, level three questions. You can see them right there. Do you actually know your credit? No? I could definitely help you with that. And if yes, oh wow, you'd for sure get approved. Level two question, have you put any thought into your budget? Level three question, oh okay, well I mean based on that you would definitely get approved. I might even, I might even be able to get you a better payment if you come in and sit with my F&I manager for a little bit. I, I would just need to uh, see you down here in the dealership if you got a minute. All right, so at this point, remember we talked about um, credibility over rapport a little bit. We just looked at how do we get contact with emails. We just looked at how do we sell an appointment with a conversation. And this is usually where the reps start talking about, ah, but objections. What are the objections I'm gonna handle? How do I handle them? All that fun stuff. First and foremost, let's do ourselves a favor and understand the type of objections that we get at the different stages of the sales process. And one of the biggest things about this is actually a psychological fact. It's not an automotive industry fact or a sales fact, it's just psychology. And it's the big, let's call it a tipping point or TSN turning point of when you stop hearing BS objections, completely fake objections, and start hearing real objections is an expected sales call. An expected sales call. When someone is not expecting your call, hey, how's it going? What's the first thing you're thinking? Who are you? Do I know you from somewhere? Was I expecting your call? What do you want? Right? Like just, just the basic stuff. So why do we do the permission to proceed? We need to know what they need to hear better than we do. And that's why this fake objection information is really, really important. And everyone probably knows about fake objections so far. I mean, when I look around the room, I, I can see people that have been in the industry for, you know, 20 years. 20 years ago, we didn't have Best Buy. We didn't have downloadable trade-in reports and credit reports and all this stuff. But we did have a lot of couples that look like this couple over here walking around our, our pavement parking lot. All right, and let's say we're a brand new sales rep. We see that couple walking around on the lot. And I, I go into my manager and manager says, oh, Dan, why don't you go approach that couple on the lot? Give them a real good sales approach. Okay, how can I help you? What's the answer? Just looking, just came to look, right? So what do we do instead? We use our digital road to a sales training. We say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, beautiful day to look at cars, isn't it? What's someone gonna say? Now, now let's turn that on the flip side. Let's say that we actually accept that just looking. And we, we go tell our owner that, hey, you know, I know it's my first day, but they were actually just looking on the parking lot. What's the response? Come on, Dan, they weren't taking a nature walk on the parking lot. Like buyers are liars, actions express priorities, go make a sale, you know? How is that psychology any different than how we're handling web leads today? Who's heard this from a web lead? I was just looking to do research. All the time, right? Means it's a terrible lead. Absolutely not. Let me ask everyone, especially coming up to the holiday season, the last time you went into Best Buy, someone asked, hey, how can I help you? What was your response? Just looking, right? No, you cannot help me. I'm not gonna buy anything. Then what do you do 30 seconds after you told them you're not gonna buy anything? You buy something. And, and we're talking, like as, as sales professionals, we're people that want to make more sales. Like if there's anyone that should be immune to buyers or liars, it should be us, right? We're, we're in the same profession. So if we're doing it to other people, how on earth can we expect our customers to not give us that same just knee-jerk reaction. It's not real. 
Okay, so what do we need to do? First and foremost with the fake objections is expect that we need to educate them. Just the same way that you wouldn't expect your kid to know the answer if they're six years old to what am I going to eat for supper? They might say something like candy because they're not educated on it. We need to know their needs better than them and operate the same way as if, you know, our six-year-old suggested candy. Would you get angry at them? No, they're going to run to the room. Same with your prospect. Ugh, you want more than that for your trade, you dummy? Like, let's debate the value over email. Never hearing from them again. Don't, don't use these web leads as a means to debate with your customers. Use them as a means to relate with the customer's uncertainty that they're going through. Nobody has filled out a trade-in report that knows what their trade-in value is. Nobody has filled out a credit report that knows exactly that they would get approved before they took that action. Nobody's calculated their payment that knew what their payment would be. Prospect knowledge beats product knowledge. Anyway, the first thing for overcoming those fake objections is just the right mentality, expecting them and knowing that they're fake. So that what do we do? We need to persuade here. And I say we need to persuade here because as a sales professional, I'm a big, big advocate of you never have to persuade. If you got to overwhelm with anything, overwhelm with value, never overwhelm with pressure. So why are we talking about persuasion here? Because they're playing black magic with us. It's buyers or liars talk. They're not being real. We got to earn the right to bring them in the showroom. And that's the difference between unexpected objections and expected objections. We want to get them to the point where we hear real objections. Yeah, I am. You know what? Yeah, I, I could sell you my car, but honestly, I got a buddy in the car industry and I want to buy from them. These are real objections and we can educate on those and close the deal. But if we start treating fake objections like real objections, we're just chasing our tail the entire time. So this is how we overcome fake objections here. First, we got to accept it. We got to cradle it. So blah, blah, blah. I want to buy your car. When can you come in? They say, you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to come in. I'm just doing some research. Yeah, I know. That's why I called so fast. Or yeah, I know. That's why I've been calling you if it's your fourth or fifth call. Or even over email. Yeah, I know you were just doing research. That's why I wanted to email you. And see down here in brackets, despite the fake number, lol, I do that too. Put that lol in there. Why? What's the number one reason people aren't getting back to us over email right now? They don't think you're a human. Is any marketing department going to put lol in their template? Absolutely not. You will get a reply every single time you write lol. You will get a reply every single time you put a joke in and just show that you're different than any other rep there that wants to sell them a car. Okay? But anyway, we got to soften up with those lines. Yeah, that's why I've been calling. Yeah, that's why I called so fast. Then we got to do what a lawyer does, ask that control question, right? So we got to already know the answer to it. Yeah, I, I know you were just doing research. That's why I called so fast. But do you mind if I ask you that research report you had on? Um, did you notice the value of range that it said your vehicle was worth there? First person to talk loses. Oh, you did or you didn't? Doesn't matter. Yeah, so I know you were just doing some research, but we'd honestly like to buy your car. I mean, would you be willing to bring it in so we could check it out, make you a real offer? Are you willing to sell? And all we did was really rephrase our main objection again, but we softened their concern, we cradled it, we asked a control question like a lawyer would, and then we went back to our main sales objective. So we just persuaded them, okay? Hopefully that makes sense how we would uh, tackle a fake objection. Now, now we gotta actually 
tackle the real objections. And the big thing here is just educate. That's all you got to do is educate people without getting them offended. And it's 2020 going into 2021. And that's the hard part. All right. So what do I mean by that? I mean, when was the last time a customer was right about what their trade-in value was? Never. Even if we give them the perfect trade-in value, what's their first response? Eh, still not enough. You can give them the perfect number and they still don't think it's good enough. Are you kidding me? So really what we need to do is educate people so that they know everything that we know. The only difference is we've taken years and years of training to know more than them. And we need to have high value per minute to be able to communicate that to people in like 90 seconds or less. So what you're seeing over here is those three real objections. You know, examples would be, I don't like the values. I'm not ready to buy today, or I'm going to go with your competitor. And what you're seeing here, do you see this chart along the top? We have soften, confirm, align, answer, and trial close. All right. And I bet that every single person in this room is already nailing what's in the answer column. Okay, because the answer column is what we would say in the showroom all the time. Oh, you don't like the values? Well, are you familiar with the difference between a list price and a value to a dealer? Yeah, I mean, list price, they put whatever they want up there. Whereas a dealer, I got to put a fair price. I got to recondition the car. I got to put food on the table for the family. We got to remarket it, right? So everyone in this room is really good at giving that spiel right now. But the problem with web leads is we never get the opportunity to give that spiel. They don't reply to us. We don't get deep enough in the conversation. So that's what the S, C, A, and T are for. Soften. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all, Mr. And Mrs. Customer. I mean, you probably saw those higher numbers on a place like Kijiji or Trader or heck, even the list prices on our website, right? Right. And do you mind if I ask, like all of my clients normally start out a little bit disappointed with their trade-in value but did you actually see the dealer costs at the bottom of the report? You know, feel free to ask it with that tone. Like, realize I'm breaking some bad news to you here, but I'm, I'm really just trying to educate you. Did you realize? All right, and this is where the digital tools that we use on our website become really important. Because remember back before, you know, car proof reports and Carfax reports, we need to be like, no, 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 trust me, it's not been in an accident. So you, you need those digital tools so that you can print it out and show them, look, this isn't, this isn't just my opinion. This is what the leading automotive industry uh, independent research experts say. Okay, but anyway, that soften is, hey, don't worry. That doesn't surprise me at all. Confirm is we're going to paraphrase the resistance they said back to us so that they know we're not just telling them what they want to hear. We know their concerns so well, we can finish their sentences for them. So that doesn't surprise me at all. You probably saw those higher prices on Trader, Kijiji, all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Almost all my clients start out a bit disappointed by that. And P.S., see how we're saying my clients, not me? It's called the customer voice. We can't say our cars are the best. Otherwise, oh, of course you'd say that. You're trying to get my money. But we can say, man, I've dealt with five customers just like you based on this, this, and this. And the last five all told me they had that concern. And this was really helpful for that concern. Okay, so client voice. Uh, and then we're going to align by asking that question that we already know the answer to. So, but can I ask, did you see the values in that report? They'll give you an answer. And that is where you give your answer. Now that you've went through that whole dance with them, now you've actually earned the right to explain to them and educate them what is the difference between that value to a dealer and a list price. 
And it doesn't have to be a trade-in lead. It could be they're not ready to buy and you're educating them on the timeline. So can you help me understand? Well, if you're not ready to buy, that's okay. I don't, I don't want to put you in a car prematurely. Do you mind if I ask, what is your timeline? Oh, January. Interesting. And what's the life event that led to that? Oh, you got a baby coming. Oh, interesting. So can you help me understand our delivery process is normally this many weeks. You said you wanted this color, this must have feature. It's going to give you two weeks just to get that vehicle ready. You probably want about a week in there so we can do some mechanical stuff on it. So, I mean, you, you let me know if my math is off, but if I'm understanding your timeline and what you told me correctly, it sounds like if you want to be rolling down the, the, the road in that in January, I would need you in here signing documents like, you know, late, mid-November. Does that timeline work for you? What did we just do there? Did we say, oh, the inventory's not gonna be available, like I'm, I'm gonna clamp down on you and add some pressure and some urgency? No, we understood their timeline and helped them understand the benefit of saying yes now instead of saying yes later. The final thing that we need to do here is trial close. Because, uh, you know, I, I hear this all the time when I'm uh, in discussions with my wife uh, she will make a great point and then I go silent. And that is her indicator that, you know, she's clearly right. We need to do the same thing when we're objection handling here. How many times have we heard an objection, we make this great point back, and then what do we hear? Silence. And then what do we do about it? We sit there like we're fishing with a net. Anyway, point is, don't do 90% of your objection handle and then just give up because we didn't realize how close we were to the finish line. When you hear that silence, that's your indicator that you're right, that you've made a good point and you need to reel that fish in with, yeah, so anyways, Jeff, like I understand that you weren't maybe expecting to come down here right now and buy a car and I know you were just doing some research, but I mean, if it made sense to you, do you think it, it might you know, actually behoove you to mosey on down here and just let my manager, Jason, check this out, you know, appraise your vehicle so we can pay you top dollar for it. Something like that. Anyway, uh, hopefully that gives everyone some, uh, some useful, useful tactics to use when objection handling. So just to recap that, expect the fake objections, they're BS just like before, and on the real objections, educate them and just have a great process for educating them so that you don't offend people which makes them go, oh, I'm not going to get back to this person, even when they're wrong, whether it's about their trade, their credit, their payments, whatever. All right. And then we talked about falling in love. I'm not talking about falling in love in, the, in, in any mushy sense. I'm talking about falling in love with process. Has anyone heard any Stanley Cup teams, Grey Cup winning teams, anything like that say fall in love with process? Of course you have. You've heard these coaches say, fall in love with the process and the results will come. It's the same thing on the sales side, on the customer service side, and on the marketing side of things. So what you're looking at over here, this is a very easily repeatable process that every dealership should be using when that web lead comes in. And it's not just letting people know the response time. Everyone lets their reps know what the response time is. What do you do with that? Okay, well, what should I do? And what should I say in that first 10 minutes? And if they don't get back to me on the first step, what do I do after that? And all right, once I've tried two phone calls, what do I do? Now I've tried two phone calls and an email, what do I do? So there's so much expectation setting that we need to be able to provide on this. Um, but num the, I, I think the biggest thing to take away is everyone's process is gonna look a little bit different. But if you aren't falling in love with process, you're really only hurting yourself 
Doesn't matter whether you're a sales rep that is not using process. And if I was to ask you, well, what's your goal in life? Oh, I want a bigger house. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay. What's your sales target? Let's just take X, 5,000 bucks. How do you turn your sales target into that which improves your life? Well, I got to sell 5,000 bucks in a month. What's my average close rate on a deal when it comes in? Okay, so I need that many opportunities based on that close rate to get to 5,000 bucks. What is my contact? What is my number of contact and at what percentage do I turn contact into an appointment? Let's do that math back. Okay, and from contact, how many activities do I need to do in order to achieve contact? So what we're left with is just math. From 5,000 bucks down to how many opportunities, down to how many contacts, down to how many, acti um, yeah, how many activities, and then you take that for the month and just divide it by your number of selling days. And there, now you've made a daily bread target for yourself that says, I gotta make this many calls, this many texts, and this many email templates, and have this response time every day. My life gets better. I move into the house, I move, you know, whatever their goal is. Okay, but at the end of the day, if we are not falling in love with process, has anyone heard of the term decision fatigue? Decision fatigue is the law that states as you make more decisions in the day, the quality of those decisions deteriorates. It's just a fancy way of saying your emails at 9.30 a.m. are awesome, but your emails at 4 p.m. are probably And that's okay because we're all humans. So what saves us from that? Process, tools, templates. Okay, show me a carpenter that is just as good working with only their hands, no tools. Okay, and then hand that carpenter a hammer. How do they do? Then give him a chainsaw instead of an axe. How did he do? Okay, the, the tools never replace the professional and the professional can never replace the tools. So as a sales rep, we need to understand what those tools are in our arsenal. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've heard earlier today, well, email doesn't work. Email doesn't get contact. Well, what's the goal of email? If you're judging your emails just based on, did I get a reply from that one email? That's probably not the right objection for, or objective for email in 2020. What if we need to do two phone calls and an email and a text in order to show that we're a person who doesn't give up, who wants to have a conversation, and then we use the email to send them information that makes them feel more comfortable. All that while they're thinking about it, they're on the edge, and then we send them a text to get a reply, and we would not have got that reply without making first two phone calls and sending that email, which earned us the right to send that text. Don't make the mistake of thinking that your process is a singular activity. Understand that phone gets you control. Understand that email gives information before you have contact. Understand that text gets a response when one is owed to you. You can't do text as the first response and think you're gonna get a deal out of it. You'll just get a quick no. But you can do phone first and follow that up with email to explain why you were calling and then follow that up with a text message. And heck, even if we don't get them on the phone, who's leaving voicemails expecting callbacks nowadays? I can tell you I am absolutely leaving voicemails and my team is absolutely leaving voicemails, but we are not expecting callbacks. You know what the objective is with leaving a voicemail in 2020? Hey, I know it's 2020, so I'm gonna send you an email right now. Could you just do me a favor and check your email and if it's easier than calling me back, maybe just reply to my email. I guarantee 
that voicemail will get people to check their email and send you a reply. But guess what? There's nothing to reply to if you're not doing a phone and an email and a text message with the right message. All right, so fall in love with that process. And one of the other uh, really, really important parts about process is how many people have been relentless with that customer and maybe gone a little bit too far because they didn't know when to stop. With a process, you know exactly when to stop. And here's one of the most profitable activities that you will ever, ever do when following up with a web lead. Break up with them. Send them a breakup email. Send them that email that says, and I'm talking about seven days into your contact attempt, eight days into your contact, not 21 days later when they've already forgotten about you. They can't have forgotten about you and you need to break up with them. What that sounds like is, Hey, Mr. Mrs. Customer, I've tried reaching out to you a few times now because I really want to buy your car. Based on your lack of response, I'm going to assume you're not interested. If I've misread the situation or anything about it, like the timing, please just let me know. Thanks. Bye. And I guarantee that your back is sometimes a lot better at handling objections than your mouth. Think about that psychology if you were to go, you know, try and meet someone out at a restaurant or a bar pre-COVID. Right. Hey, can I buy you a drink? They ignore you. Can I buy you a drink? They ignore you again. Can I buy you a drink? 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 Are you getting, this is not going to work, right? You're just like tugging on your shirt sleeve at that point. How about, can I buy you a drink? They miss you once. Excuse me. Could, could I buy you a drink? They ignore you that time. No problem. Right. But I, I promise that is a confidence indicator that's going to get someone's attention and be like, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I didn't mean to be rude. Your customers will do the exact same thing. Send out that breakout email. Let me know how many replies you get from customers that you thought were going to buy and then disappeared down the black hole. All right. Above all, understand that when you embrace process, your life gets better as a rep, as a manager and as an owner embrace process. My life improves get away from process. I have no idea why my life's going the way it is. And then what we have over here, this is, this is a quick visual, just showing a checklist. Checklists are simple, but really it's the principle that everyone needs to absorb here, which is accountability. Success does not happen overnight. When we're talking about any elite behavior, it's not just a matter of say this one line. If it was that easy, everyone would be a sales professional. Look, look at how many boxes there are. We got having the right message and objectives. We got four things we need to check for that box. Email outreach, we got another four things. Objection handling, four things. And, and even just setting the reps up to succeed, we got four things. So the point here is you need to document the process because that is an inhuman amount of knowledge to memorize. So you need to document the process. And at the end of the month, when we've been like, you know, how were results? They were good. They weren't great, but they were good. We can't not realize how close we were to success and just throw our half-baked cake into the garbage. We gotta finish baking it. You gotta bring out the process, bring out the average conversion rates that your peers and your competitors are getting and analyze. Are we getting the same rates? If we're not, look in the mirror. If we are, then maybe let's be confident in our lead handling process. And above all, as a manager, we talked about this with the training culture. It's not enough just to train once and be like, phew, glad my team got trained. You got to do the training. You got to put tools in place to reinforce the training. You got to have the leaders of the organization saying, hey, are you putting the training into practice? If not, 
that might be why the number is the way it is. Okay, but above all, we got to fall in love with that process and respect the challenge of handling these leads and use tools to help us along the way. All right, so, so that's, that's really the majority of it. As far as expectation settings go when it comes to doubling your lead to appointment rate, uh, you just want to make sure that you're keeping expectations realistic, like over here. But, I mean, it's been said before, 2021 is going to be the year of inventory challenges, right? So what you're seeing up here is contact expectations, appointment expectations, and here's a new one, trade-in purchased expectations. So for contact, are you making enough contact? Your line in the sand is 50%. One in two. As long as your team is making contact with one in two of your web leads, you're probably doing an okay job getting contact. I'm not saying it's a great job, it's an elite job, but I'm saying if you aren't contacting one in two of your web leads, don't be asking what the close rate is because your team isn't even getting contact with them to the point where a close rate matters. All right, and appointments, one in three, 30%, 33%. Um, and, and, and again, it's not that you shouldn't strive to be higher than that. It's that if you're not at least booking one in three contacts for an appointment, you can guarantee that the fault lies within the message that we're delivering the prospect when we make contact. Okay. And for trade-ins, you should be purchasing a trade-in lead or sorry, a trade-in piece of inventory from 8% of all your trade-in leads. That's a very data-driven stat from very big auto groups. And the point is, isn't every dealership out there right now for 2021 struggling with inventory? If they do find a piece of inventory, you don't want to compete with four or five other dealers about it. So what are you doing to put that digital sales team in place, do database marketing, and take inventory purchasing into your own hands? Don't wait for them to hit auctions. Take it into your own hands, all right? Um, so, that, so that's the expectations. And other than that, what are the resources that are gonna get you there? You can see pictures of all the resources. I, I'd, I'd love to hand out like candy right after this. So please feel free to just get a hold of me, shoot me an email, uh, get with me on LinkedIn, what have you. But anything that you've seen today, whether it's ob objection handles, objection handling worksheets, conversation worksheets, uh, lead handling worksheets, expectation setting research, text message templates, email templates, you can see those all there. Uh, they're all yours. Feel free to eat up like a buffet. I'm, I'm happy to send to uh, everyone right after this. Other than that, this is exactly how you can uh, connect with me. Um, please feel free to ask any questions. And other than that, happy selling in 2021, everyone.